and welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And today we're going to be talking about choosing different styles of yarn for your project. And what I mean by that is different dye styles. Sure. So we're talking about like the aesthetic of the yarn and not the fiber content or like physical structure of the strand of yarn. In the episode last week, Jessica mentioned her lounging top that she had selected yarn for, and because of the construction of the garment, she got kind of unintentional pooling at the shoulders, and so that's what prompted us to want to talk about this. Yeah. It's cute tea. It's just not the tea I wanted it to be. (laughs) (laughs) And I could have planned better and avoided that scenario, but I didn't, so here's your opportunity to learn from my mistakes. (laughs) So... I have just walked into the shop. Mm-hmm. I have... Sounds fake. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very fake. Yes. So, Jessica, if you're helping me choose yarn for a garment, mm-hmm. and I am looking at all of this gorgeous indie dyed yarn, there is some that is tonal, there's some that's speckled, there's some that is variegated, and then I see some that's marled. How are you going to help me make a decision about what style of yarn I should choose for my project? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> but it's also one of my favorite questions when we have people in the shop helping people pick colors and types of yarn is really like my favorite thing to do. So I guess there are a couple of things to consider. Like, are you purchasing yarn because you want a sweater's quantity worth of something and then you're going to find a pattern? Or are we starting with the pattern? Because there are different things to consider. If you have a pattern in front of you and you're shopping for that, maybe one of the ways to start is by considering the yarn that the pattern designer chose. So if you are looking at a sweater that has lots of beautiful speckles all over it and you really want your garment to look like that, then speckles is like the logical place to start, right? But Just because there are speckles in that pattern, you could go in different directions. You just need to think about what you want your outcome to be, which can be a difficult thing to visualize. Like some people struggle to look at a skein and know what it will look like. And I think that the people who don't, don't struggle because they have a lot of experience with these types of yarn. Like you can look at a skein and have an understanding based on what you're looking at of how those colors are going to play out. But that's not something that everyone universally can do. So if it's not your particular skill set, that's okay. You shouldn't feel bad about that at all. There's no expectation that you know what will happen when you're working from a skein of yarn. So we're talking about different dyeing styles. Mm -hmm. And I want to make sure that everybody who's listening understands the difference between, I think probably tonal is fairly self-explanatory, right? That's going to be solid or like almost solid. Speckled is going to have little speckles on it. It's 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 like like freckles on your yarn. Yes. And then variegated. That's the one that I think maybe is going to be not necessarily immediately identifiable. So variegated yarn, often the way that it's dyed, there will be like big chunks of color. So either the dyer is like dipping part of the skein into a pot and then dipping another part of the skein, or they're laying it out in a, in a pan and they're pouring dye in sort of wide stripes across the yarn. And sometimes you can tell 
that a skein is variegated because you'll see like the top third is red and the middle third is pink and the bottom third is orange. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the dyer will then rewind the skein. They'll like reskein the yarn. And then it's not so much color blocked that way. Mm-hmm. So really the only solution there is to ask somebody, take to Ravelry and see if you can see existing projects or swatch. Yes. So let's start with tonals, because that's where you're going to experience the least amount of variation, I think, in color. Yes. So Karen just explained that tonals are similar to solids, right? But sometimes when you have a hand-dyed skein of yarn that's considered a tonal, you'll have areas that are much lighter or much darker than whatever the main color of that yarn is. And what that's going to do is give you kind of like a faded, a little bit uneven look to your final knit fabric. It's a very different effect than fiber that is dyed in the wool before it's spun, where the color is very consistent throughout the yarn. So that's something to be aware of when you're choosing that yarn for a project. And tonals, I think, almost more than other types of indie dyed yarns, really benefit from staggering skeins when you're using more than one skein in a project. And what I mean by staggering is that a few inches or some amount of length, depending on what kind of thing you're making, before you get to the end of your skein, you pick up your second skein and you start alternating rows between the two skeins that you're working from to transition. If you've ever knit something that was like a faded style project where you're kind of blending yarns, you'll want to do that with your tonal yarns too, because that will help you avoid having a hard line between the color transitions. So one skein at the very end of it, even if they're dyed in the same batch, may be very dark at the end of the skein. And skein two may be very light at the point where you're starting. And you don't want like a, a stripe or like a hard color block in your otherwise tonal project. And that's just a matter of, you know, paying attention and kind of blending when it's time to switch things up. And sometimes... Like, that is entirely a preference thing, too. You know, if the thought of alternating skeins just, you just don't feel like doing it, okay, fine. That's oh, I mean, fine. I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to think of this as these are, these are hand-dyed and they're like little pieces of art unto themselves. And I don't really mind hard transitions. If you've ever seen me in person in the shop, there's a good chance that you've seen me wearing my flax light sweater that I like to think of as my mermaid unicorn rainbow explosion sweater. (laughs) And all of the skeins that I used are the same colorway and actually even from the same dye lot. And I very clearly have a purple sleeve and a blue sleeve on this sweater. And I do not care. I love it. And I wear it all the time. So yeah, Karen's very right. Like this is all personal preference and, and you will do what is best for you when you're approaching your projects. What should we do next? Speckles? Yeah, speckled yarn. We're going from tonal to speckle. We're kind of easing into the more funky colors. So speckles are lovely little pops of color on your otherwise solid or tonal skein. Sometimes you find speckles kind of mingling with variegated and like really funky stuff. But generally speaking, you have a skein that's a color-ish. And then there are little pops of maybe one color, maybe lots of different colors. 
kind of scattered all over the place. And sometimes that's difficult to visualize what's going to happen. Some indie dyers have like very kind of spread out light ethereal speckles, and some have like really intense, densely populated speckles. So you don't always know what you're going to get. So there are a couple of ways to approach this. If you're in the stage of thinking about a skein of yarn and you haven't purchased it yet, one way you can address that, kind of anticipate what's going to happen, is untwisting the skein. Yeah. You just slide, gently slide off that ball band and open it up. And if there's a table in the shop that you're in, some sort of surface that you can just kind of lay it flat on and kind of like nudge the strands open from each other. And maybe you don't feel comfortable doing that yourself. You want to connect with whoever's working in the shop so they're not like, what is happening? I mean, they're going to know what's happening, but it's good to communicate with the people who are working there. Can I tell you a story about before we owned the shop and I was shopping for yarn? Yes. The first time I untwisted a skein in the store. Okay, you know how when you were a kid and you would go to a sleepover and you could never really get the sleeping bag to go back into the shape it needed to be to tie the sleeping bag closed (laughs) again, right? You just ended up with this weird like, Uh I thought yarn was like that. Oh, no. I thought once you'd untwisted it, you could never really twist it again. (laughs) And so I was at a shop that doesn't exist anymore down in Connecticut, and I untwisted a skein by accident, like the end just fell out of the other Mm -hmm. end, and I went oh no. And I shoved it back on the shelf and I ran away because I thought I had broken it. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, you know what? You're not the only one who does that because when the stores open, we find secretly untwisted skeins kind of tucked in all over the place. Yeah. It's okay. It's totally okay. And it's also totally okay if you don't know how to make the skein be a twist again. Yeah. Why would you? Right. It's fine. You didn't break anything Mm -hmm. unless you broke the ball band. Yeah. And it's fine. Yeah. Think of a yarn shop like a library. Like you pull a book off a shelf, you look at it, you say, you know what? I don't want this book. Don't just shove it back on the shelf. Like if you don't (laughs) know where it goes, it's perfectly fine to bring it back to the counter or whoever's working there and say, you know what? I think I decided against this and not really sure where it goes, or I don't know how to put this back together. (laughs) Can you help me? And they'll be happy to help you. It's fine. So anyways, speckled skein. Yeah. Let's open it up. Let's lay it flat and kind of get an idea for the concentration of speckles. Because sometimes you'll look at a skein and you're like, oh, this is this is not very speckled. And you'll kind of like nudge those strands of yarn open when you lay it flat. And you're like, whoa, the speckles were hiding. They were inside. Yes. Or vice versa. Like you're not really sure what's going to be there until you have eyes on it. So that's one way to kind of anticipate, are there just not a lot of speckles and this is going to be very subtle? Or am I going to have periodic like explosions of fun speckly color? Yeah. And the reason I mentioned the thing about untwisting a skein was don't be shy about doing that. It is absolutely okay to investigate the thing that you're about to buy and go spend however many hours working on. Like you you should know everything that you would like to know about this skein of yarn. And sometimes it happens. Like if you follow a lot of indie dyers on Instagram, every once in a while, you'll see one of them make a post that's like, should I twist these skeins like this or like this? And they'll, they'll post like two different pictures of, you know, here's one skein that's twisted 
this really kind of requires a visual, I think. So I'm just going to wave my hands at the microphone, but like that's <laughs> twisted, you know, at one point and then another skein that's twisted at another point and they will look a little different based on where the dyer has made that choice to like retwist them. Oh, sure. We see that in the shop too. Like sometimes someone will open a skein, look at it. And when we retwist it and put it back on the shelf, it is twisted differently than the other skeins in that dye lot. Yeah. And it's still part of that dye lot. It's just kind of folded and twisted back into its shape at a different point in the skein. Yeah. Like 45 degrees further down is where the <laughs> fold in half is. You know, it's it's fine. Yeah. It is always fine to open up a skein and look at it and lay it out next to the other skeins you're going to choose. You know, if you're making a project that takes four skeins and you want them to sort of be as close as they can, untwist them all and lay them next to each other. And then don't just shove them back on the shelf in a pile. Definitely get help. And if you're ever in a shop where they get mad at you for untwisting skeins, leave that place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of a grumpy bunny attitude to yeah. have. Like people should be able to look at their yarn. Yeah. Also, that's super helpful if you're working on a big project. Yeah. Because every indie dyer dies in different numbers in their dye lots depending on like the size and setup of their particular operation. So some dyers might have a dye lot that's only two or three skeins. Some dyers might have a dye lot of eight. And if you're looking for a big project where you need a number of skeins, it's really helpful to be able to open them up and lay them out and look at them next to each other and see how you want them to work together. If I need seven skeins to make a sweater and I'm dealing with two different dye lots, I don't freak out because there are two different dye lots, right? I'm looking for the most similar skeins so I can pull them together in my project and get the effect that I want. And that's totally achievable. You just need the space to kind of look at the skeins and identify what's appealing to you. Before we talk about other ways besides looking at the skeins, I want to talk about variegated yarns. Yes. And then kind of talk more about the universal techniques for how to identify all of these colors. So variegated, Karen explained that as like big color blocks or chunks within a skein. Some variegated yarns are more subtle than others. Some are very high contrast, and the amount of contrast evident in the skein is going to have a big influence on how it looks knit up. For example, if you have a variegated skein that has like browns and oranges and reds and it's kind of like a very dead leaf fall palette, when that's worked up, it's going to be kind of like a beautiful, subtle forest floor dead leaf aesthetic. <laughs> you know, that dead leaf aesthetic. Hey, look. <laughs> we spent yesterday romping around in the woods. There were lots of dead leaves to look at and they were beautiful. It's a thing. If you, for example, have a skein that has a big section of white and a big section of teal, and there's also a section of fuchsia, it's going to be super high contrast. There's going to be nothing subtle about how that works up. So those are very easy things to keep in mind and consider when you're looking at variegated skeins. When you open up a variegated skein and lay it flat, you're going to get a lot of information from that too. It'll be different information than here's a hidden secret pocket of speckles, because if they're just three colors in the skein, they're just three colors in the skein. But opening up a variegated skein will give you information about how big those sections of color are that can be really difficult to identify when a skein is twisted 
and when there's a ball band wrapped around it. Yes. Like your a significant portion of your yarn is hidden in that circumstance and you need to be able to see it to have more information. So even if you are in the store and you've not purchased this yarn, if you have a pattern in mind, sometimes you can look at the gauge, the designer's gauge, and do some math estimating based on how many stitches per inch. And you look at the section of colors, like if there is a like four inch long section of red in my skein, I know that when I knit that up, that's not going to be a four inch wide section of red because your stitches have dimension. It's going to be maybe a third of that or half of that, depending on what your gauge is. So you can kind of look at these sections of color in your skein and choose some percentage. I'm going to say a third to be safe because isn't that like when you're counting yarn for cast-ons? Yeah, a third is usually pretty safe. And if you're working with very large or very small gauge, it's going to be different. But let's just go with a third. Yeah, third for the ease of math. If I have, you know, whatever length section of color, if I can reduce that based on my third percentage here, that will give me an idea of how long that color is going to exist before it transitions into the next one. So you might end up with really short sections. They might be uniformly short. You might have a red section that's four inches long in the skein and then a 12 inch long section of white. So it's really going to let you know if those colors are going to be consistently the same size or little bursts. And while you won't necessarily have a super clear visual of what it would look like knit up, it will give you a better idea of what it would look like. Marled yarn. Oh, yeah. So marling isn't something that happens in the dye pan. Marling happens when yarn is dyed before it is spun, and then different colors are twisted together in the ply, and there's transition happening. Historically, people would see this kind of exclusively with hand spinning, and commonly now, you are probably familiar with marled yarn from Spin Cycle, who began as hand spinners, mm -hmm. plied yarn, and also brands like Zauberball, which gives you that kind of marled, hand-spun visual, but it is milled on equipment. It is not like one person sitting there hand-spinning each skein. So marling can be consistent throughout a skein. I'm thinking specifically of something like Versus from Spin Cycle, where there is one ply that's all gray and another ply that is a different color. So throughout that skein, there is no variation. All of your stitches will knit looking the same way. Or there is a lot of variation. And there are probably, we're going to say that they are like long, slow transitions throughout a skein. And looking at a skein, it's kind of a crapshoot. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know what it's going to knit up like. It's hard to tell. But if you have a skein and it's wound into a center pull ball, if you hand wind the ball, this is not helping you either. But if you're looking at a center pull ball, you will see like striations of color. So you can tell that on the very outside, it looks like the skein is peach. And then further in, there's some blue, and then there's yellow, and then there's whatever color is next. So you will kind of see those color shifts. And even then, it's difficult to tell how long they're going to last. But those are kind of your options for what's happening with marled yarn. Now, 
What do we do to identify what your yarn is going to look like once it's been knit up that doesn't involve just looking at the skein? Right. There are ways to gather more information beyond the skein that's in front of you. So you can look on an Indie Dyer's actual website. Some of the dyers do a really great job of having little swatches knit and crocheted and kind of taking pictures of those and putting them next to the skein so you can see what that colorway is going to look like. They might put it on their Instagram. It might just be on their website. But if you're really like you need that information, it's worth poking around a little bit online to see what you can figure out. And it isn't always realistic to expect an indie dyer to have a swatch of every colorway that they dye. Because you know how long it takes you to swatch and like they're busy dyeing yarn. You know, like they don't have a machine that knits them. They have their hands. They have their hands that dye the yarn. They have their hands that knit the yarn. And they don't have any more affinity for swatching than really (laughs) any of you do. Like random sample indie dyer person. Do you love knitting swatches? I don't know, random knitter, do you? (laughs) Right. So like if you have a swatch, you can use the swatch to extrapolate the style of the other colorway. Another place for those of you who use it, Ravelry has Mm. so much user-generated content that is a hugely valuable resource to the community. Like no one dyer could produce all of this on their own, but there is a place the projects page, which we've talked about many times, where you can search for a yarn in the yarn section. On that particular yarns page, there's a little tab at the top that says projects. You can click on that and then just have pages and pages of examples of things that people have made using that yarn. And that will give you huge amounts of information. Right, because sometimes, and I'm thinking specifically of variegated yarn, because of just the way circumference works, Mm -hmm. it's going to look different on a sweater than it is in a hat. So even if, for example, you are standing in your local yarn shop and you're holding the skein of yarn and you're like, what is this going to look like knit up? And the person who's working at the shop is like, oh, actually, we have a sample of this right over here and it's a sweater. And you're like, oh, but I wanted to make a hat. That sample of that sweater may not really be telling you how the colors are going to line up because a human body is a different size than a human head is. Yes, that was exactly my problem with my lounging top. Yes. Where I had a beautiful skein of yarn. It was sparkly, it had speckles, and it was also variegated. It was super loud and I loved it. And the way that this lounging top is constructed, there's lots of like knitting in the round for the body. So I would like have slashes of this bright red on this aqua. But at the top, like in the shoulders, it was a series of short rows. And they were short rows and shaping knit flat to come from the back of the neckline over the top of your shoulders. And then it was joined in the round under the collar. And those knit flat and short row shaping sections really broke up the like long slashes of red and made like kind of wild zigzag lightning bolts of pooling that, okay, it's fine and I wear it, but it's not my favorite. Well, and in some ways that was just really bad luck. Like Mm -hmm. that was just coincidental math and coincidental math doing a weird coincidence with each other. Yeah. If I had swatched, I maybe wouldn't have even anticipated that. And also I don't think I swatched. Oh, I'm sure not. Well, and like I, I feel like that specific thing was like extemporaneous 
short rows. You're you're short rowing one shoulder cap and then you're short rowing another shoulder mm-hmm. cap. And so that was a very specific situation. And so I think if we learned anything from your lounging top, variegated yarn and shoulder caps that you are doing with short rows knit separately, this very, very specific situation may not be a great combination of yarn and project choice. Right. I think that you, to make it blend in and look aesthetically the same as the rest of the top, it's not impossible, but it would take a lot of math and maybe cutting of yarn and way more work than I was willing to commit to this. So I think that if I had knit something that was like a top down in the round from the neckline down kind of situation, my project would have worked up differently. And you could avoid that specific problem by alternating skeins in your short rows. It probably wouldn't be totally consistent with the rest of your garment. Mm -hmm. Like it would end up being different kind of either way. So like that, that was a very specific, funny situation. But I would say if you're knitting something like tonals or speckles are going to be more your friend than variegated in that, in that one particular instance. There are situations like I'm thinking of hats mostly where there is variegated yarn and then patterns designed to do intentional pooling. So your hat will have like a lightning bolt stripe going up it because it is designed to work with usually a specific yarn and the way that yarn is dyed and the pooling of that yarn. So that's like a collaboration between dyer and designer that if you do want that effect, you're going to have to seek out that specific yarn. Mm -hmm. It involves a lot of math. And it's a really neat effect. Like the people who love it, like really love it. But it's a super specific aesthetic. You're not going to accidentally do planned pooling like that you have worked to make this happen. And then I think we have arrived at the often most informative option. And that is swatching. If you have this yarn that you think that you want to use and like you physically have it, like you're pulling from your stash or you just bought this, do your swatch because it will tell you a lot. Like maybe those speckles that you thought you really loved, you're like, you know what? I don't want that all over my body. Maybe I want that in a hat and some mittens instead. Doing the swatch will tell you a lot about what you're going to get. And I know we will say this almost every episode forever. Just do your swatch. Because it will help you avoid things down the line. Even though we said that the variegation thing with my weird shoulder caps, that was an anomaly. It was. Well, and you can always leave the the working edge, especially if you're swatching to find out what the color is going to do. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily need to block your swatch in that situation. You could, if you're like playing yarn chicken, you could leave it live swatch it then rip it back you could steam block it too oh sure yeah so like you don't have to take it off your needles necessarily even like steam block the lower half of that thing and do a little math if you need to but just just look for the color it will help you oh could we talk about things like texture and different styles of yarn dyeing oh that's smart yes let's talk about that (laughs) so I am thinking about a project I knit as a shop sample, and I'm very intentionally not going to say the name of the sweater, but the body of this sweater has single stitches of color work every like five or six stitches Mm -hmm. through the whole body of the sweater. Like it's, you know, sort of polka dots of this color all over. Yep. And for my main color in that section, I used speckled yarn and everything was very much of a palette. And I think the way this yarn worked together was really gorgeous. Mm -hmm. My 
meticulous, careful, had to count all the time, had to deal with two strands of yarn all the time, single stitches, worked out where they look like speckles. Mm -hmm. I could have just been knitting straight with no polka dots <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and had the exact same effect. Sure. So let's start with color work since that's where we're at. Right. I guess are... I said texture and then talked about color work, but yeah, we can do both. <laughs> we have all of these options available to us. So let's explore them. With color work, I think if there are lots of little tiny bits of color, for example, the dot, the single stitch every five or six stitches. For something like that, you probably want to avoid speckled yarn because the yarn is replicating that with little dots of color in your main color every however often it's speckled, right? So you probably would have done better to choose a solid color for your main color. You could have used a speckled yarn for your contrast color. In a situation with color work, you'll find lots of color work projects that are currently being designed make great use of marled yarn because you can use one strand as your contrast color and you're going to have big, long, slow color shifts instead of pulling in multiple skeins. Or you can get lots of funky color variation by using multiple strands of marled yarn. So if your color work has two contrast colors or three or however many, or your mosaic knitting calls for like multiple color changes, you can get a lot of variation in your project without having to add many, many more strands of yarn. Like the yarn is doing the shifting on its own. Many years ago at this point, I knit a sweater for Violet that was a tin can knits pattern. The name is escaping me, but it was a solid color sweater that had a one color yoke color work. And I used a skein of variegated yarn in the color work and the color just shifted on its own. And I was so pleased with myself. Yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, it was a really cool effect and it was a great sweater and it was really easy because I just had one strand as my contrast color. So that's an option too. Even if your pattern designer is telling you you have color A and you have color B, you can get funky with what color B is and kind of create a lot of variation that maybe the designer didn't envision when they were working on it, but you're really going to love. Now, if we're talking about texture in a project, and I'm going to lump all kind of stitch texture together, whether it's lace or something like a moss stitch or cables, we're not doing flat stock in a knitting here. We have something going on. The busier your yarn is, the less visible all of your hard work is going to be. So if you are knitting a sweater that has cables or beautiful textured panels and you don't want a solid yarn, speckles might be a really great option for you because you're mostly dealing with a tonal yarn at that point with little pops of color. When you start getting into things like variegated yarns and marled yarns, the more color change that's happening, the more camouflaged your stitches are going to be. Suddenly, all of your like little twisted stitch faux cables like don't pop like you want them to, or your broad swaths of texture just kind of look flat because your eye is focusing on the color changes and it really doesn't stand out that there's something going on with the stitches, that there is like relief and depth. It's just a plane of like fast changing color. I've definitely had knitters come into the shop who are three quarters of the way through a cowl that has a lot of texture going on. And they're like, I'm following the pattern and it just doesn't look like the sample, like the picture that goes with the pattern. I can't see my stitches. 
and they're using a wildly dyed skein of yarn that's got lots of color changes, there's nothing that they can do to make those stitches more visible if that's the yarn that they're going to use. It's just kind of hidden by all of the color change. I think too, and this is commonly known and also I think a little less of a hard rule than a lot of people think it is. Texture is going to be less visible in darker yarn, but it doesn't become invisible in darker yarn. It's not like, you know, as soon as you go navy blue or darker, can't see (laughs) pearl stitches anymore. Like if you want to knit your textured thing out of darker yarn, go for it. Definitely. There are so many patterns, like I'm thinking of lots of cardigans with gorgeous cables on them, like really cool stuff that look amazing in dark yarns. Don't feel like if your palette is dark, you are being forced to knit in light colors because that's what the pattern sample is in, or that's what you think will show off the cables better. Like if you want to knit them dark, go dark. It'll be amazing. And also don't forget, usually what you're looking at, if you're like looking at other examples of a pattern, if you've gone to the Ravelry Projects page and you're looking at, you know, all these people who have knit this cabled cardigan and this person has knit it in cream colored yarn and this person has knit it in charcoal colored yarn, you're not looking at that cardigan in person, you're looking at a picture. Those stitches are going to be more visible in person than they are in this two-dimensional image that's on a screen. So don't talk yourself out of doing what you want to do just because there's this sort of thing that you you should use light colors for texture. That Mm -hmm. being said, also, though, if it's your first time doing texture, light colors are not a bad idea because you will, under more lighting conditions in your actual life, be able to see what you're doing better. If you have bad lighting in your living room or wherever you knit, it can be a struggle to work with darker yarns. So sometimes that's a good opportunity to consider task lighting. Yes. Or finding yourself a good lamp to sit near, something like that, to to give your eyes a break and make sure that you're knitting what you think you're knitting. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Oh, one more thing I wanted to add about looking for other people's examples. I know we talk about Ravelry a lot. Because really, it is the largest, most comprehensive and specific to what we do place to see other knitters work. But if for whatever reason, you can't use Ravelry, get yourself acquainted with the hashtags that dyers or pattern designers are using. And if you want to knit a specific sweater, find out what the hashtags are for that sweater and use Instagram to search for those projects. Or if you're looking for examples of a certain yarn from a dyer, see if they use specific hashtags for that yarn base that they dye, and then look there to see examples. Ravelry will give you the most visual options for seeing other people's work, but Instagram is like a great second resource available to to us. Yeah, and you know, the more pictures you're able to see, like the more information that you are able to give yourself, the better chance you have of making an informed choice that's going to make you happy with your finished project. Yay. <laughs> Speaking of finished projects, uh-huh. Neither of us have finished anything. What's on your needles? <laughs> I, was about to say, I don't know who you're looking at. It's not me. So, my summer sorrel is on my needles, my summer sorrel tea. Yeah. And it's great and I love it and I'm done with the yoke. Nice. Mm -hmm. I'm barreling ahead. So it's great and I love seeing all of your pictures of your sorrels too. Keep tagging us. They're awesome. And then other things like I've been working on the sorrels so my butt shorts are languishing. But it occurred to me 
I think my butt shorts will look cute with my summer sorrel tee. They're, nice. They're just springy and pinky peach together. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Karen, what's on your needles? Oh, man. So summer sorrel, which I haven't been working on as much. That's okay. I'm in like a weird project rotating place right now. I have mm-hmm. my barn heart. I am working on a test knit, which has flat color work. Yeah. And it is like breaking my brain. I feel like I feel like neurologists need to know about this. <laughs> like <laughs> like plasticity is something good is happening in my brain. I have no, I don't think I've ever done flat color work before. And I am a two-handed color work knitter and I don't know how to do that when purling. And it is like, it is just a wild experience. I feel mm-hmm. like I need to document, like I'm going to have superpowers at the end of this, but I can also only do a couple of rows at a time before I have to, I have to rest. My knitting life is moving very slowly right now. That's okay. Yeah. But it's that's, not a race. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun though. Good. It should be. <laughs> hey, Jessica. Yes, Karen. Are you ready? Oh, for a letter. Ah, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Let's do it. This letter comes to us from Brady. Hey, Brady. I have what might be a slightly individual question about fit and sweaters. I am two months postpartum right now and nursing my child. I love knitting sweaters and don't want to stop even though my current bust size is larger than my prepartum size due to milk production. I'm planning to make a Darren pullover from the Embody Collection by Jacqueline Seaslack. Based on my current measurements, I should do bust darts. My question is, what happens if when I stop nursing, I don't need the bust darts? Will they look odd on my sweater if they aren't needed? Or is there another way to make sweaters for yourself when you know your bust measurements may be changing a lot? That's a great question. And I'm so glad that you wrote in to ask. So first of all, I want to say that that's a great customizable pattern. The Embody collection is fantastic. And Jackie's instructions for bust arts are great. And I think that you're going to be really happy with your resulting sweater. I think that since that design in particular is not like a bodycon sweater, like it's not written with lots of negative ease, Unless you specifically are making changes to how the intended fit is so that you are wearing it with lots of negative ease, it's a relaxed sweater. So I think that if you do experience changes in the size and shape of your body, if you're anticipating your bust size is going to decrease, I don't think having darts is going to be exceptionally weird in your sweater. Like, it's fine. That said, I think it's very important to focus on knitting for the body that you have, because as you said in your email, your bus size may change, emphasis on the word may. As someone who personally nursed babies for almost five years, I didn't end up with any dramatic change in my bust size afterward. Everybody's body is very different. There is absolutely no way to anticipate what hormones will do to your body. You may stop nursing at some point. Well, eventually you will stop nursing at some point in your (laughs) life. I don't know when, but it will stop. Whether that's in a number of months from now or a number of years from now, like that time will come to an end and you may or may not see changes to your body. 
There may be other things that happen in your life that affect the size and shape of your body that you cannot anticipate. And that is true for all of us, whether or not we are postpartum and feeding an infant. So it's it's super important, I think, always to focus on knitting and making things for your body as it is now and not worrying about what your body may or may not be like six months from now or two years from now. Like you want to knit a sweater for yourself now? Great. Knit a sweater that's going to fit your body right now and you will wear it and enjoy it and love it. I think there's an exception to that. What's that? If you're planning top surgery or anticipating a mastectomy. Yes. Like there's going to be surgical intervention. You know your body's going to be changing in this very specific way. And you can create a gift for yourself of a wardrobe that will fit that body when it happens, which is not applicable to Brady's situation in any way. I just want to make sure that we are mentioning the sort of two situations where that would actually make sense to, sure. to do. I think that's an excellent point. The very specific circumstance where you can have knowledge right. about what's <laughs> right. going to happen with your body and what size and shape it will be after that. Right. Yeah. So otherwise, it is up to the fates and the universe. Like, who knows? <laughs> so yeah, focus on, on knitting for yourself in the now, I think, is, is what the valuable lesson is here. <laughs> Which I think is really useful to just be that way about clothing in general. Very right? much so. But like someday clothing that's hanging out in your closet, if it brings you joy to have someday clothing in your closet, then keep it. But if every time you look at it, you're like, mm, donate that garbage, right? I don't want to say throw in trash, but like throw in donation bin. Yeah, like emotionally. <laughs> right. Throw in emotional trash. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like if it's haunting you. Right. Like... I will never be able to put that on my body in a way that is comfortable for me, not in the next week. It's not cool. Like, it's one thing if you have a cast on your arm right, and right. you can't wear that sweater because you can't get it over it. But, like, seriously, if you are clinging to clothing because you feel like there's some sort of obligation for your body to be different than it is, don't do that to yourself. Just love who you are. We love you. And on that note, I think that's it for us this week. Yes. Thanks for listening. If you aren't currently following us, you can find the Make Good Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, I don't know, wherever you listen. Make sure that you're subscribed. Rate and review us so it's easy for other fiber <laughs> folks to find us. And tell your friends. Word of mouth is awesome and we appreciate it every time you share that we exist with someone else. If you haven't cast on for your sorrel knit along yet, that's totally fine. If you want to join us, you can join us at any point. Details on that are on our Instagram at makegoodpod, and you need to be following that account and the Scratch Supply Co. account to be eligible for the gift card prize that you get for participating, not necessarily finishing by the end of May. Yeah, one person will get it, not everyone right. will get it. Right, right. <laughs> And show Make Good some love. We have merch now. If you want a mug or a little project bag or something, if you head to the scratchsupplyco.com website and you <laughs> click, how is that? If you click on swag, there is a little button for Make Good Merch. And that's where you can find all of our sheepy goodies. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.